Well, we've seen so far Peter's autograph, his background, his conversion, his change, and his commission, or commissions too, one at the start and one at the end of his life, Christian life. We've noticed Peter's apostleship, his denial of Christ, his ministry, and the date and place of writing. And I believe it to be literal Babylon where he was writing from, some 13 or more hundred kilometres away from where he was sending this letter to. And we wrote, noted also last week his two friends there, Syl- Silvanus or Silas and Mark, a person there. And it seems that Silas took this letter to the recipients of it. <clears throat> We've noticed Peter's audience last week and we emphasise this to the strangers scattered the pilgrims and strangers, as you've got there in this epistle later in the chapters of that and other portions of Scripture in the Bible. Scattered strangers and pilgrims. And we are truly pilgrims. Our real citizenship, eternal citizenship is in heaven. We look forward to the day that we'll be soon there. And uh, we ought to be strangers down here. And and they think it's strange, (laughs) unsafe people do, that you run not with them to the same excess of riot that you used to before you were a Christian. If you were saved younger in life, praise the Lord, you didn't get into that excess of riot. Well, we look this evening at Peter's affirmation of three things. First of all, Peter's affirmation of their standing. They were elected according to the foreknowledge of God. And if you've been with us for a while, just a couple of Sundays ago, we were covering Romans chapter 8 in the third message there of the certainties of life in these uncertain times. And one of those certainties we covered, which is a a kindred verse to verse 2, Romans 8, 29 and 30. Elected or chosen on the basis of God's foreknowledge, as it clearly states here, no adding anything there to it, to the foreknowledge of none, God. No one can contradict the truth of a necessary divine activity in man's redemption and salvation. The Jews were and are an elected people. But there's another elected group that we come upon here and throughout the New Testament, and that's the elected body of Christ, in which all believers are participants. And if we go back to the book of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about this being one body, and that is made up of Jews and Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And so we've been brought to be one in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. The Old Testament was the elected nation of Israel, elected individuals within that nation. Today we have the elected individuals within the body, the building, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is an act of God he chose us according to his foreknowledge. From the human perspective, we are well aware that the unsaved must receive Christ and believe on him in order to be saved. Peter discusses salvation from the divine perspective and lists three steps that we'll look at this evening in one's redemption. The first step, this is an act of God who, who in his foreknowledge chose us from before the foundation of the world, as it reads in these verses here, this verse here. Chosen, chosen in him. You shouldn't have turned from Ephesians. We're going right back there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So this is an act of God who knew our response when we heard the gospel of Christ and could choose us even on the basis of that we would believe and before the foundation of the world. Isn't it amazing that God went ahead with creating the world, knowing what would happen in the world, and that many, the majority of people, would not choose to obey the gospel, would not choose to live by faith like Abraham, but choose to follow the now God of this world, Satan, and, be, and remain his children, that our forefathers would give up the great things that they had been given of God in creation and the innocence they had by their disobedience. But still God chose to go ahead with this and that he might fellowship with, with us for eternity and that he might ha uh, make a habitation with us as he even does today as he lives within us by his spirit. So the first step is an act of God who in his foreknowledge chose us before the foundation of the world. It tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And that passage that we referred to, <clears throat> or went from, we went from Romans 8, a couple of weeks ago on the Sunday morning, and we went to First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. We'll go back the other way this time. I don't think it's any coincidence that we looked at it then and we look at it now. Didn't plan this. This is just the way the studies have gone from Romans and to Peter. But here in, there in Romans, we find written Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So here's the process. God knew it all in his foreknowledge. And uh, once we were saved and were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. We might say <clears throat> from this it's good as done. 
when we become Christians, it's good as done, you know, and even before, because we're chosen in him, knowing our choice we would we would make. <clears throat> Let me go back and reiterate some of the things, and I'll pull the sermon out that we had on that day. And the, it was the saint and his certainty of a new pledge that God has pledged those whom he chose are predestinated to be glorified through the process that we just read in Romans. In Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ, until the, the Lord comes. He will keep working on us. A great indication and a great security for the Christian is that God doesn't start working on us. It keeps bringing things to pass in our life to make us more like himself and to think more like him and to have his attitude, the attitude the Lord Jesus had. In 1 Corinthians 15.49 it reads, And as we have borne the image of the earthy Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly Christ. God is in the process of making us like his son and bringing many sons to glory. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians 4.13 till we all come in the unity of the faith and on the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the fullness of the statue of Christ. So this is what we were looking at when we did Romans eight twenty nine and 30. We Christians are predestinated to be conformed, predestinated to be glorified. It will happen no matter what. The Lord foreknew this and he knows each step. He knows, he knows everything about our pathway. He knows the things we're going to fall in and falter in. He knows the things we're going to be faithful in. But he still persists with us as he did with Peter. And Peter's writing this epistle toward the end of his life, as I said, and he's still being conformed to that. Uh, young Peter is a young Christian had quite a lot of rough spots, as we say, a diamond in the rough. We are. <clears throat> um, let me continue on some of the thoughts we had from Romans eight twenty nine to 30. This verse and verse 2 of Peter 1 really turns Calvinism upside down. It's not in God's character to choose elect some to heaven and damn others to hell. They choose that themselves. God so loved the world. As we look through the Old Testament, as we read the New Testament, as we hear the invitations given, whether it be an Old Testament like Isaiah or Jeremiah or whether it be the New Testament, other prophets, of God giving us the opportunity to choose, to follow him. And his grace and his mercy and his long sufferingness. His gentleness, his goodness, and all these things that are shown toward mankind. And that is all of mankind, not just those that are elected. He, he died for sinners. He came in this world to save sinners. As Paul said, of whom he was chief. He felt chief of sinners. Listen to those verses we quoted some time back there on that day. First John 2, 2. And he, Christ... Is the propitiation for our sins, talking to Christians, our sins. He has satisfied God's holy demands in relation to our sins, and not for ours only, not for Christians only, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. It doesn't say the whole world of the elect or the chosen. It said the whole world, and it makes a comparison between Christian and non-Christian. Christian and the whole world. He paid for that. He satisfied God's holy demands. And how terrible it is that people hear the gospel and still reject the invitation and are disobedient to the gospel. And they will be judged for so doing. Read Second Thessalonians chapter 1 on that. And it gives, leaves you no doubt that God will judge those that have chosen to reject him. Read Hebrews and read about where people tread underfoot the blood of the covenant with which they were sanctified, <clears throat> counting it as unholy thing. In First Timothy 2, 3 and 4, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. In verse 6 of that, 1 Timothy 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, it will be evident when we get to heaven that the Lord paid the, the ransom for all, all men. Majority choose to reject. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Not every elected chosen man, but every man. And it makes rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ all the more serious. When you've got a choice, the price has been paid, there's an open invitation, and you say no. John 3.16, as we well know, for God so loved the world, the world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Don't try to shift the responsibility of your eternity onto God, and nobody will be able to accuse God on that day of sending them to hell when he, they could say he had no right to. Uh, it's a serious business. I remember when I was only in my mid-teens. We're in a gathering in a home and there was a meeting of men. Oh, I turned up, Dad took me along. And there was one man there that was Calvinistic in his thinking and had come out toward the end of the meeting. And uh, Pastor Bill Grant was there the, before he'd started the church at Benella. And then there was quite a debate happened and I was there as a young person listening to this. And so I was introduced to this at a very young age and I've definitely made, brought, come to the solid conclusion of where I believe Scripture falls is that the Lord Jesus died for all. <clears throat> What's the use of writing in Scripture? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If the invitation is only for the few when the gospel is to go to all people. In Romans chapter 10, there's there the record of talking about going out. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. The gospel goes to all, but they have not all obeyed. They had the choice, 
they disobey the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so it'd be a mockery for God to say, go out and preach. Go and preach to everybody. So that just a few elected get saved. Yes, they're the ones that get saved because they choose to. The others disobey the gospel. I don't know how much clearer the scriptures could be. We might argue from our intellectual point of view for it, but it's in the scripture. Yes, election is there, choosing is there, predestination is there. And so the first step Peter talks about there is their their standing. And if you're following the outline, that's the first point there. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and then the process through sanctification of the Spirit. The second step, their sanctification, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the one chosen of God and sets him apart for conviction and unbelief as he hears the gospel being preached or read or, or explained to him and, <clears throat> and convicted of unbelief, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20 and 21. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3 And verse 5 reads, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, where we have the Lord telling the disciples about the Holy Spirit and his ministry. In verse 7 of John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. And if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. The Comforter is the Holy Spirit. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. What are they doing? Rejecting the message. They don't believe on him when he's t- when they are told about him. They make a mock of what God has done for them. They tread underfoot the blood of the covenant of the Lord Jesus. And he also convicts of, convicts of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And so the Holy Spirit does his work in setting them apart, in sanctifying them, positionally saving their soul. As we know, um, you may know about the different aspects of sanctification, this positional sanctification where God saves us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit by the conviction of the Word of God. This progressive sanctification where we as Christians are progressively becoming more like Christ, from glory to glory, Uh, changed into the image, as we read a little earlier, of the Lord Jesus. And then there's permanent sanctification, and that that happens when we get a new body. <laughs> and uh, we're glorified. And that's what, the, that's what uh, Paul said there in Romans 8, 20, 29. Starts with his choosing, ends with us being glorified in heaven. So there's this sanctification. Process. Now, it happens by the Spirit of God. 
In the book of Ephesians, back to Ephesians again, in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, we read, In whom ye also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So the gospel of your salvation, after you believed, you were sealed. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, he convicts us. I've seen righteousness and judgment to come, and we tremble before him and come to him, humbly repenting, turning by faith to him. He seals us into the body of Christ. He knows who's for real when this happens. I remember once at a camp, and the speaker was speaking, there was much conviction in the camp amongst the campus. <clears throat> and, the, and the leader from the front must have sensed that. And he said, I don't want anyone coming up here with a big grin and laughing and making a mock of this. This is serious. And when we're convicted of sin, righteousness and judgment, we tremble before the Lord. And we can hu- come humbly, repenting of our sin. Yes, it's a joyous occasion. I'm not saying salvation's not. But <clears throat> we are to come in with that attitude, the Holy Spirit knows. He only seals those who are fair income, who are true. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, we read there, And grieve not the Holy Spirit by whom, by whom ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And so we're, we're sealed once we have believed by faith. And the Holy Spirit does that work for us. And back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, it tells us, this, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Greeks, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. There it is, the Holy Spirit working for our sanctification, our positional sanctification, and taking us out of the world as we're convicted, putting us into the body of Christ and sealing us into the body and uh, possessing us. Uh, <clears throat> How much of the Spirit do we have? Are we filled with the Spirit? It depends on our obedience. You know, the Spirit wants all of us. And he doesn't want to have second place. He is the minister of the Lord in us. Um, <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 this time. In Romans 8, 9, <clears throat> we read there, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you haven't got the Spirit, you're not a Christian. You see, it's the second step that Peter's talking about, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification of the Spirit. Now we have the third aspect of salvation here in Peter, in the second verse, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is the work of the Trinity. God the Father, choosing, electing. God the Holy Spirit, sanctifying us and indwelling us and possessing us. And the third step is justification and cleansing which become ours through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their salvation. So their standing, their sanctification and their salvation. We sing those hymns, Washed in the Blood of the Lamb. 
or the one with the question as its title, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? The book of Hebrews, written to Hebrews to explain the finished sacrifices and and the new way, the once for all uh, shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we just 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 had Easter last weekend, and um, we remember the things the Lord did for us in His death, burial, and resurrection. And in <clears throat> Hebrews chapter ten, verse twelve, we find written, well, verse eleven, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering often the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Yes, his precious blood was shed that we might have life and have it eternally. For by one offering is perfected forever in verse 14 and verse 29 of Hebrews 10 of how much sore punishment. Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified, an unholy thing. I quoted part of that before, back in chapter 9 and verse 14, no, verse 12 and 14 of Hebrews. Neither is by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The veil of the temple was rent. We have access to God into the holy place, and the Lord Jesus, through his blood, made this access possible how much more in verse 14 shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living god and so the third step we are washed in the blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins all the old testament sacrifices from the one given for adam and eve to be clothed right up to the one, the last one on the day of Passover, there may be on that weekend that Christ died. <clears throat> All that blood could not take away sin. And in Hebrews 10, it tells us two or three times over, the blood of animals could not take only cover, but the blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, can take away our sins. And God was satisfied, as we said just the other day, if God wasn't satisfied, Christ wouldn't have been raised from the dead. But Christ was propiti God was propitiated. He was satisfied. <clears throat> and um, if, to close this thought, as we've been looking at this, Peter's affirmation of their standing, of their sanctification, of their salvation, God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, we turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, and reading at verse 6. You probably know these well. <laughs> and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is what the Lord has done for us in our salvation. <laughs> Seated us as it were in the heavenlies, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For, the, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember these things. We were once aliens, 
now we're his children. What a wonderful salvation we have. And Peter is affirming these Christians, the Christians he's writing to in Turkey, uh, of their standing, of their um, sanctification, of their salvation. What, what about you and I? Are we secure in the hand of the Lord? Did the Holy Spirit dwell in us? Do we have a desire for the word? Do we have a desire for prayer? When we don't pray, is there a convicting voice? The Holy Spirit saying, hey, you know, you haven't prayed today. You haven't read the word. You haven't meditated. This life is about spiritual things, which are eternal things, which are, which are the real things. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but we go there one day to be in his presence. Just a few prayer requests before we close. Continue to pray for the elderly that are susceptible to this virus going around. Pray for the young people in the families and for the family mums and dads to be able to find things for them to do as they're locked in. And um, they can be uh, pretty busy in a house with a few children. Um, <clears throat> pray for each other in this regard. I mean, it seems that the authorities are going to keep the restrictions on for some time yet, and they're talking months. So pray for each other. Pray for Bella and Jeff, Arusa, as they are expecting their baby, uh, expected their baby on Monday. Haven't heard yet about that. Pray for missionaries in Vanuatu, Tonga, the busters there, and, the, and Fiji, the Manis, and the Cyclone. Haven't got info yet on them, but uh, talking to Andrew, and it seems that... Um, and the busters in Tonga, okay, we did, did yes, we did get a letter from them. Um, <clears throat> pray for Rachel and a new baby, Nisia. I believe I pronounced it right. Andrew will tell me if I haven't. Um, <clears throat> and for all the work in getting the tracks out, and they're continuing to do that. They were to get others out, and the distributors are, are still working. That's their job. They're allowed to do that. Many of the same restrictions there as I hear. Praise the Lord for Cooper Graham. Um, recovering and pray that that goes well as he's at home doing that and um, pray for hope in a world of chaos it's a, a title of one of the my uncle Wallace's books he wrote for and that was uh, hope in a, in a world of chaos if he was around today he would certainly say it's a lot more chaotic now than it was some decades ago when he wrote that book and so may we rejoice in the Lord and we go on our ways like the Ethiopian eunuch after he talked to Philip, the evangelist, rejoicing in his salvation, went back home and told the people about the Lord. Let's go back. Let's talk about the Lord. People need the Lord. People need hope in this world when it's so overrun by bad news. There's good news of the gospel. Let's give that to them and that might become one of the chosen. Maybe, well, they are chosen, but we have to take the message to them, that they hear it, believe it, and take it in to their life. God bless. See you next Sunday.